Thaddeus Ellenberg presents Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. Mitchie Prescott, 3 a.m. Magic. Platinum Live presents Excellence in Paid Programming. Jersey, the mecca for direct response television. An alluring playground of who's who's in a world of toll-free numbers and guaranteed satisfaction. The infomercial dream factory, fast, hard, and unforgiving. And behind the movers and shakers and moguls in Fairfield, there are the artists. Tonight, we showcase Mitchie Prescott, the industry's premier Brand X director. Before Prescott, infomercials were shot with a single director. That is, until a small-town farm boy from California brought untapped artistry, coupled with maddening frustration, to the portrayal of inferior products by contrast. So without further delay, Platinum Life presents the story of Mitchie Prescott. To fully appreciate the life and work of Mitchell Bartholomew Prescott, you first need to understand the boy and his roots. Growing up on an artichoke farm outside Monterey, California in the 1960s. I wasn't too keen on all the artichoke as a kid. I don't know, maybe, maybe I just didn't get it. The farm had been the family for decades. My grandfather was California's first vegetarian. That had a big impact on our lives. My father, though, needed to put his stamp on the business and took us into the local condiment market with his mother's mayonnaise recipe. You know, for dipping. It was definitely a game changer. After that, uh, lemon garlic butter, yogurt mash, but I didn't care. Now I knew there was more out there. Plus having artichoke three meals a day for 15 years, it, uh, it got to be a bit much. I was an eager kid, and I loved taking photographs. Film and chemicals were expensive, though, so I practiced a lot of my composition. Looking through the viewfinder of my busted-up Zycon F28 and making the sound of the shutter. <laughs> I thought I was a real Burt Hatfield. You know, I can still recall most of those early mental photographs I took. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good one. I used to go into my mother's magazines and admire the diet ads with, you know, all those early before and after panels. Back then there were illustrations, so the exaggerations, they were exciting. Waist hiders, girdles, that sort of thing. I remember a side-by-side -side for Leachman's premium plant food. Two flower pots, one with Leachman's, one without. Brilliant, brilliant. Twelve years old, lying on my mother's twin bed, I threw my hands up and said, well, that's that. There's nothing left to accomplish, it's all been said. 
With an appetite for visual conveyance and comparison, young Mitchie continued his pursuits, drawing inspiration from all around him. I'm very observant, always have been. Even from an early age, I would study people. Usually those in a, uh, a fit of exacerbation or under extreme duress. People standing in line to order food always yielded good results. I found that hunger and anger together acted as a strong catalyst for tension. There, uh, there was this hippy-dippy salad and yeast place that opened up nearby on the coast. 68, 69, something like that. They had this complex ordering system with all these steps. Everyone would fly off the handle. It seemed simple enough, it just wasn't very clear. And the general setting of impatience compounded by confusion was just, just invaluable to my research. Lessons I employed all the way to the end of my career. My, uh, before flower pot, if you will. One night around Christmas time, uh, we went into town to deliver a case of Dad's new dipping sauce, uh, liver stock with pickled onion. We walked by the hardware store and they had the television sets going, you know, in the, uh, in the window. And we didn't have a television, so naturally I was quite taken. <laughs> I'll never forget, there was a commercial for kitchen appliances. An ice tray with multiple lever action. By, by Freezeco, yeah. There were all these little sparkle effects and a jingle. And we didn't have anything like that at home. Our ice was frozen and chiseled into cubes on request. So, yeah, <laughs> I was hooked. As a pupil of vexation with a head full of dreams, Mitchie Prescott left home and headed east. I didn't know what to do or where to go, but I knew I had to get out. So I bartered my way across the country using jars of mayonnaise, if you can believe that. The studio that produced the commercial from the hardware store was in New Jersey, so you know, I figured I'd start there. My first night in Fairfield was in this nice, lit-up place by Highway 7. Nicer than anything I knew. One of them $9 setups. Actually, you know, they only rented by the hour, and that was, that was $3. So I got three. Three hours. And that was all the money I had in the world. I didn't anticipate the extravagance of big city accommodations. But really, I mean, you can't put a price on being right in the heart of the action. But if you could, it'd be, it'd be about $3 now. The next morning, I went down to the headquarters of Arnie Galela Media. I walked myself right up to the most important looking person in the room and said, I'm here for a job. And they said, what do you do? Well, first they said, how'd you get in here? Actually, come to think of it, it took about 20 or so minutes to convince them I, I was not there to harm anyone. And that the bulge around my chest was just freebies from the motel. But, you know, eventually they got around to ask me, what do you, uh, what do, you do? You know, after the policeman left. Apparently there was an older gentleman with a heart condition that everybody made a big fuss over and a pregnant woman that went to early labor. And I said, my name's Mitchie Prescott. I'm your new director. And as the saying goes, the rest was history.
The 1970s saw young Mitchie climb up through the ranks of direct response television with his distinctively stylish two-minute commercials for Arnie Galela, Busy Soda Soap, Mr. Gastronologist, the Corncob Holder Caddy. From new hotshot on the scene to sought-after veteran, Mitchie remained focused on his craft and soon would revolutionize the entire industry and take America by storm. Yeah, um, <laughs> Polymer's Urn Glue, 83. That was a milestone in my career. I can honestly say I wouldn't be talking to you today if it weren't for that opportunity. I, I didn't care about PSAs or CD compilations. I mean, they were all good for some, it just weren't my bag. Naturally, I'd gravitated more to compare and contrast, so... And I had played around with longer formats before. The Aeromax Flyer, the Zipper Teeth Home Sharpener, and that was prime time. <laughs> they ran a five-minute cut during the Showbiz Game Show when that uh, when that lady got crushed by the set piece. Remember the giant film reel that came loose and barreled through the audience. So this, I mean, this was nothing new. Just just a little longer. But I I figured we could just do several five to seven and a half minute commercials to create a three-act structure to fill the time slot. And this was during the graveyard shift. So I mean, we were venturing into uncharted territory. Listen, the station was willing, they didn't have to sign off after midnight or whatever, and the client had the capital. But I, I knew, I knew even from the first production meetings, I knew the Brand X was where we were gonna shine. And it, it just so happened I had been at a party in the city a week earlier. And I tell you, those Fairfield shindigs, they were, they were known for being a bit on the wild side. I think Laurel Mayhew was there. I don't have to tell you who he is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure anyone who's bought a clap-on bikini trimmer in the last 30 years knows exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, we were putting up the pretzel game mat and about to draw keys from the fishbowl. And those mats are great because you can just hose them down. And I found myself in the study with a diet pop in front of a mantle with an urn on it, if you can believe that. <laughs> and as I stared at it, I knew... I knew right away it was going to work. Maybe it was the carbonation or lack of blood flow to my head, but I knew. I knew we had something. I went home and immediately drew up some sketches. Well, not my home. Anyway, I got them over to our storyboard artist, a kid named Nathan Holbrook. I, I put all my energy into the Brand X scenes. We shot them black and white reversal and kept the image slightly soft at all times. You know, a set of hands clumsily struggling to glue this urn back together. And with such haste. And we, listen, we must have looked at a hundred different hands before making a decision. Luckily, we came across a pool of arthritic hand models on the downswing of their careers. And the best part is, you couldn't really tell them apart, so we just paid them scale. A family eating at the dinner table and the put-back-together urn collapsing in front of them. An urn above the kitchen stove giving way and falling into the mashed potato mix while someone had their back turned. An urn at a family picnic caught in the rain, caving in from cheap glue and the ashes clumping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, uh, we broke records. And with my contract up at the end of the year, my options were limitless, so... 
And was it hard to leave? Of course. Arnie Galela gave me my start. But I, I knew this would free me up to concentrate on what I really wanted to do. And that was Brand X. And like that, a legend was born. And suddenly, with offers from competing media agencies and private investors, Mitchie Prescott was given the freedom and resources to express his art at its truest. A period of his life he would not share alone. I met my wife Tamala on a DUI shoot outside Providence. I took strictly for the pay to cover some, you know, bets that went the wrong way. That was 87. Her head had gone through the windshield and was slightly severed. I couldn't stop staring. She was stunning. And again, I knew. I, of course, later knew I didn't know, but in that moment, I knew. I put her in a lot of my early double-length commercials. She was great. Nobody could fumble a product better than Tamala. And what a face. That's when I went from shooting just the hands to shooting the whole person. And this freed up a lot of constraints. But listen, as beautiful as her face was, the brow she could furrow, I tell ya, worry, irritation, and she could sustain it the entire shoot. And we were shooting 10, 12 hour days. Yeah, those were, those were good times. Bought a house in a gated community. We celebrated every holiday, even some of the smaller ones that aren't recognized nationally. And we went all out. And I was producing my best work ever. The popsicle stick receptacle, uh, crazy kebab skewers. Those were back to back. I shot them as companion pieces and used all the same angles and matched the focal lengths. Let's see, Snipomatic for home circumcisions, the spray on tie, the twist tie rejuvenator, Instavision, the, uh, the sunglasses where you saw the image instantly. The Brazil nut peeler, the rat tail styler. I mean, it was just one banger after another. It was a golden age for infomercials. That was the, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the same time I did the blow up shower mate. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I still to this day get mail about the Bilko shower mate. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was the happiest time in my life. And I look back on it today with both great fondness and a heavy heart. Mitchie Prescott paved the way for a generation of would-be commercial directors with a passion for Brand X no longer restricted by the full emotional range conveyed and required in modern infomercials. Trade schools all around the country adopted the subfield in their DRTV studies, and Mitchie Prescott had achieved immortality. But while his work flourished amid a period commonly referred to as the master years, a strain was put on his life at home. The, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the combo cutter in 92 was a difficult project for me, emotionally. I wasn't around much in those days, and Tamala was tugging guys under the table at McFlanagan's practically every night. And I mean that literally and figuratively. 
yeah, that was that was an interesting item of the audit. And McFlanny's was one of the nicest joints in Fairfield, so you can imagine the clientele. I once, um, I once found her behind the soft serve machine with some stain remover salesman, which, occupationally speaking, you know, I took pretty personal. I, you know, I I can't blame her though. I, I was so wrapped up in the water balloon cannon, then the jicama dehydrator. I took her for granted. And it broke me. The, um... <clears throat> excuse me. I should have taken time after the divorce. You know, clear my head. Get out of Jersey for a few days, they said. Instead, I just... I put all my misery in the work. In retrospect, I... I probably took it too far. I got fired from the Keiko Cutlery Collection spot after the censors deemed my scenes too graphic for broadcast. I think in the 29-minute total running time, there were something like 147 severed fingers. We went through 68 gallons of fake blood. I really cashed in on those montages. I still don't think it was all the blood as much as it was the dismemberment. The cutaways to the body in the bathtub were particularly gruesome. You know, I was working things out. And even though I was contractually justified, the fact that I banned any crew member from making direct eye contact with me, I think it just, uh, I think it rubbed people the wrong way. Personally, I thought the character turning the inferior Japanese slicing knife on himself out of total frustration was ingenious tonally. I just I held on it for so long without any cuts. Him carving his way to the side. The whole thing, I mean, I, I don't think I was quite ready to go there creatively. It was, it was too soon. My despair inevitably carried over into my years with the Parker Company, where I still, if I'm not mistaken, hold the record for not only profanity in a commercial, but uncensored sodomy. It was a, it was a dark period. Suffering from heartache and abandoned by an industry he alone reinvented, Mitchie sought relief in the most unlikely of places. I went back to the farm. Yeah, um, in hopes of grounding myself. I thought if everything came flooding back, I might gain some much needed perspective. Unfortunately, it had been hit hard in the recession, you know, and with the surgence of avocado orchards just springing up all over the place to meet new demand, you know, they were, I, I should say we were, on the verge of foreclosure. Yeah, there was a lot of resentment that I left. I remember they had turned my bedroom into a bathroom. It was spacious, and I tried not to read too much into it. I just, I didn't have the money to help out. You know, at the time, my finances were tied up in various legal battles. There was the, the class action spearheaded by the mothers of those boys that had the electric grill fight during a sleepover. I don't know, I don't know. Apparently they had seen one of my ads and their mothers held me personally responsible, if you can believe that. You know, it's crazy. That settlement slashed me at the knees as they say. So, 
I helped out the only way I could. We shot a commercial. I know. It was perfect. Perfect. And really, I mean, we just, we had an absolute blast. I ran the camera. Cheap little thing I had sent over one year for a birthday. Mom worked the lights and dad acted. If <laughs> you can believe that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a long time coming. We, of course, didn't have the money to distribute it, but uh, certainly brought us closer together. Even though I think they were just playing along for my sake. Oh yeah, we lost the farm. It was pretty aggressive, too. Last I heard, they put up a flea market with some pretty impressive stalls. Mitchie Prescott went on to shoot six more years of award-winning Brand X segments, some of the most iconic infomercials in recent years. From Mako's urinal glow sticks to the cordless tassel comb, Mitchie was back on top and celebrated by late-night audiences at large. Affirmation which arrived with the prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Academy of Infomercial Arts. What can I say? You know, it, uh, it meant the world. It was right after I rapped on my last commercial in 98. The Clam Fryer. It was this basket specifically for clams. It was genius. It was genius. And I'll never forget, Marty McDonough, biggest infomercial agent in town, came up to me after my speech, looked me straight in the eye and said, you shoot a hell of a shitty can opener. I, uh, I like that. This has been a production of Thaddeus Ellenberg's Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. With an introduction by Nicole Kalasich. And artwork by Adrian Lobel. This series is independently produced by Thaddeus Ellenberg. To find more episodes and information, visit our website at tecasualfriday.com or email us at contact.casualfriday at gmail.com. Listen, I know there's critics out there. I know what they say, that it's lazy, just doing the brand X, you know, that it, uh, that it glorifies pessimism. I've heard it all. To that, all I can say is try contrasting the 13-way baker's dozen light bulb without absolute commitment. They're still airing that one? Really? I Yeah, I'd like to see that. That'd be interesting.